At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. I want to pick back up. We have been studying from the book of Zechariah, and what a marvelous journey and study we have had as we've made our way through this Old Testament book, this minor prophet with a major message. I have been preaching for some 50 years, starting next year, and, um, uh, and I have pastored three churches and uh, I have, this is the first time in my ministry that I've ever taught through the book of Zechariah. I have made references to that book in other teachings, but this is the first time teaching through it. And I don't know about you, but it has just blessed me beyond measure, and for that I give God glory. Uh, I want us to look at uh, Zechariah chapter 8 now. The teaching is actually going to encompass the entire eighth chapter. Therefore, I'm not going to read all of the verses of chapter eight. I'm going to read just. Um, I'm going to read um, the first three verses in in uh, Zechariah chapter eight, and then I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelations chapter twenty-one, beginning with verse one. Zechariah chapter 8 verse 1 Again the word of the Lord of hosts came saying Thus says the Lord of hosts I am zealous for Zion with great zeal With great fervor I am zealous for her Thus says the Lord I will return to Zion And dwell in the midst of Jerusalem Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Now, if you turn with me to Revelation chapter 21 and beginning with verse 1. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. The word of God reads like this. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Amen. Amen. Now, as we have looked at this book of Zechariah, God is blessing us with a tremendous revelation and insight for how he is working in our lives, for how he continues to work in the world 
in which we live. And as we read and study the Bible, it is important for us as the people of God to always ask the question, what did it mean then and now, and what does it now mean for our lives today? What did it mean then and what does it mean now? The mistake that many of us make as church people is that as we read and study the Bible, we do so without considering that we are in the book, that we are in the Bible. I made that statement this past Sunday morning, and I could tell when I made that statement as I looked out among the congregation, for some people it was a startling statement because it's the first time that they had ever heard such a statement and it's the first time that it had ever been brought to their mind, to their awareness, that I am literally in the Bible. I'm in the Word of God. That this book called the Bible is not a novel, is not a fictional story. It's a book that is speaking to the reality of a world that was created by God. I'm a part of the creation of God and this book is addressing my life where I'm living right now and God is trying to help me to understand what is happening within the context of the drama of redemption. And so it would do me well as a redeemed person, as a Christian, to allow the Holy Spirit to give me insight and to give me illumination so I can understand what God is purposing for my life and how he wants me to conduct myself, carry myself, and work with him with what he is doing in the world. Now all of that has much value for you and I if we believe God is real. Anybody believe he's real? Yes. Who are the redeemed of the Lord that I'm looking at today? That means you're saved. Yeah, I'm the redeemed of the Lord. Now, for us then, when we talk about this kind of language, it means all the world to us. Now, to the person who is an atheist who says there is no God, everything I just said doesn't mean diddly squat to them. To the person who is agnostic, the person who says, well, I believe that there is a God, but I can take him or leave him, it doesn't mean anything to them either. But to those of us who have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and understand that we were not saved just to be saved, but we were saved for a purpose which God is working out in our lives in the right now, it means everything to us because we are rejoicing that we belong to God. Amen. That we belong to God and God is in control in spite of everything that we see that has ever taken place in the world and that is going on even now. So that when you look at Zechariah and we look at chapter 8, we understand that God is restoring Jerusalem. You understand now, we've been in this book now for several weeks. You understand now that the context is there's a remnant of people, right? Who were allowed to leave Babylon and come where? Back 
to Jerusalem. They came back to a city that had been destroyed. The city had been destroyed, the temple had been destroyed, but this remnant, this first group that had been allowed to come back, when Darius was the king of Persia, Zerubbabel was the governor. The post-exilic prophets of Haggai and Zechariah were the prophets who would minister to, speak, and give direction to this remnant of people who had been allowed to come back to the holy city. The city was in shambles, the walls were broken down, the gates burned with fire, the temple had been destroyed, but they had been allowed to come back to Jerusalem and it would be their challenge to rebuild the holy city and to rebuild the temple. God gives assurance to Zerubbabel that the city will be rebuilt, the temple will be restored, not by his his acumen, not by his resources, not by his capability or ability. God says to Zerubbabel through Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. God says it's going to be rebuilt, Zerubbabel, but I'm the one to go, I'm the one that's going to enable you to rebuild it. And so God is restoring Jerusalem. When you get to chapter 8, God is making it clear and clear that the city, the temple, will be rebuilt. As a matter of fact, when we get to Zechariah chapter 8, the temple is already in process of being rebuilt. It's not finished, but enough of it is built that people can see the temple being restored. So the temple is being restored and the city is being restored. Jerusalem that had been in shambles, now God is bringing it back to the former days of glory. Jerusalem will now look again as it did before Nebuchadnezzar and the, Neb and the Babylonian Empire came in and overtook the city and took the people into captivity is going to be restored back to its former days. That's Jerusalem historically uh, in the days of Zechariah and this remnant. But then, as you understand, the, the revelation that God gives us in this Old Testament book is on two levels. One level, it just speaks historically about what happened in the days of this remnant, this group of people who were allowed to come back to Jerusalem. But on a higher level, the revelation from Zechariah is speaking to us about what God is doing at a, in a greater capacity and what is going to take place in the future because of God's big picture, because God's going to send a Messiah into the world in the person of who? Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to make it possible for a broken and bruised humanity to be redeemed and brought back into a saving relationship with Christ. 
And then you will have the church of the living God. You will have Jesus Christ who comes and preaches about the kingdom of God, who will give his life on a cross. He will be crucified, buried, resurrected from the grave. He will give a great commission to the early church, to the disciples of Christ, to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. On the day of Pentecost, the church of the living God will be birthed. In Revelation that I just read, that's speaking on still of the activity of God in the present and in the what? Future. And what does John speak to us about? He says, and I saw a new Jerusalem. See, in the days of Zechariah, this remnant comes back from Babylon to Jerusalem and Jerusalem historically. You can go to Jerusalem right now, I've been there. You can go to Jerusalem and Zechariah speaks of the fact that Jerusalem would be what is being what? Restored and rebuilt. But John says, but I saw a new Jerusalem, the holy city coming down from heaven. You and I, as the people of God, are part of that remnant, that group that one day we're going to be a part of and we're going to experience the new Jerusalem. No more suffering, no more sorrow, no more death, no more dying. It's the city of no more. The wicked going to cease from troubling and the weary are going to be at rest. So as we look at Zechariah, then we need to say, okay, God, how do I understand what you were doing with the people then in the days of Zechariah? And how does that speak to me for what you are doing in my life when? Right now. Come on, look somebody and say, God's doing something with me now. Hmm? Come on, tell somebody, God's working on me now. God's doing something me now. God's blessing me right now. In fact, we ought to just pause and give God a right now praise. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's blessing me right now. Amen. Now, you understand that chapter 7 of Zechariah and chapter 8 go together. Because the question, Ron, you recall in chapter 7 is what they wanted to know, since we see the temple going back up, should we continue to fast? and participate in these religious rituals that we were practicing when the, when the temple was torn down and the city was destroyed and we would leave Bethel and come over to Jerusalem and we would, we would fast and go through rituals because of how heavy our hearts were that the holy city had been brought down to shambles. But now that we see things coming back together, things being rebuilt, what they want to know is should we continue to fast and there were four there were four times of fast or there were four periods of fasting that they were participating in and in chapter 7 uh, what is brought to their attention is that uh, uh, the question is what kind of fasting are you participating in is it a true fast or is it a false fast you see, and what determines whether our fasting is true or false, what determines whether our fasting is acceptable or unacceptable has to do with what is our motive. 
What is our motive? And so what God said to us in Zechariah chapter 7 is he says, you're talking about a fast. He says, and in the fast, you're talking about what you're willing to abstain from. But God says to Zechariah and the people, I'm more interested in you abstaining from sin as opposed to abstaining from bread and wine. Yes, I want you to abstain from sin. What I'm looking for is a change of behavior because any fasting, any kind of religious ritual you go through that does not give evidence of a change of behavior means that whatever you were doing, you were doing it in vain. So God calls them to a true fast. And I want to remind you, I think I shared this with you about two weeks ago, is that if you want to read uh, in, the, in the Word of God a chapter in the Bible that really speaks to us about what real fasting and authentic and integrative fasting looks like is read Isaiah chapter 58. Just read Isaiah 5, chapter 58 at your leisure and it'll speak to you about the kind of fasting that God is looking for from his people. Now, when you read Zechariah chapter 7 and chapter 8, um, Zechariah never gives the people a straight out answer of yes, fast, or no, don't fast. He really doesn't give them a straight out answer. But there is a kind of implication that we can draw from what he says. Now, when you pick up with Zechariah chapter 8, and I had to go back and touch chapter 7 just for a minute so you can understand chapter 8, because Zechariah chapter 7 and chapter 8 go together because they are the second part of the book of Zechariah. So now when you get into, into uh, Zechariah chapter 8, remember the issue was about what? Fasting. Well, when you get to Zechariah chapter 8, there's a movement from mourning to celebration. There's a movement from mourning to, not like the morning, but mourning like crying. There's a movement from mourning to celebration. There's a movement from fasting days to joyful feasts. From fasting days to joyful feasts. Now, um, chapter 8, it, it opens with um, Zechariah giving their seven oracles, seven oracles. And, and each oracle begins with this statement, thus says the Lord. Look at verse 2, uh, chapter 8, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 3. Thus says the Lord. Look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 6. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 14. For thus says the Lord of hosts. There are seven oracles. And these seven oracles is God speaking to Zechariah and the people, this remnant in Jerusalem, letting them know that a change is taking place that a change is taking place. Beloved, we serve a God who can bring about a change in your life. Don't ever let the enemy fool you into thinking that what has been is going to always be. Mm -mm. Just look at somebody and say, I'm waiting for my change to come. 
yeah, yeah. And you can look back at them and tell them, baby, it's already in progress. Yeah, it's already in progress. Yes, God is the God who knows how to intervene in the situation of your life. I said God is the God who knows how to intervene in the situation of your life. I'm a, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it. I guess maybe I just shouldn't, but I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to say something that's going to really make you want to holler, but I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it. I said God can intervene in the situation of your life. Now, the reason you raised your hand and said yes, because you're thinking about when I call him, he answers and he intervenes. But what I want you to know is he'll intervene without you calling. <laughs> and you ought to thank God that he didn't wait to intervene until you had sense to call him. He'll intervene without you praying. And the reason why he does it, I shouldn't say this, I really shouldn't, but I'm going to say it. The reason why he does it is because the fact of the matter is he loves you better than you love yourself. And so he intervenes, and I'm glad he does so. He's the God who brings about changes. He wants them to know that things are changing, and they're changing for the better. In other words, restoration is taking place. Restoration is taking place. Restoration means God is bringing it back to the place that he always wanted it to be. There's a place God wants you to be. There's a place God wants you to live in. There's a mindset God wants you to have. There's a disposition God wants you to live with. There's an attitude that God wants you to have. There is a power. There is a peace. There is a joy that God wants to be characteristic of your life and if it hadn't been there, God says I'm bringing it back because this is where I've always wanted you to be. I know the enemy came against you. I know you've had days of struggle. I know you failed. I know you messed up but that was only a few chapters in your book I'm still writing and God knows I haven't gotten to the conclusion so God says don't you quit don't you give up you just keep pressing your way because I am bringing restoration back into your life and your best days are yet still ahead of you hallelujah goes right there now listen, when you look at these seven oracles, the first oracle sets the tone for everything else God says. Because this is what he says in the first oracle in chapter two, verse two of chapter eight, thus says the Lord of hosts. He says, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. With great fervor, I am zealous for her. That's what God thinks about his people collectively, and that's what God thinks about you and I individually. Yeah, yeah. God loves his church. He's crazy about his church. The Bible says that we are the apple of his eye. Yeah, yeah. God just don't like you. No, child of God, God loves you. God has a, he has a, a crazy kind of love about you. 
So he serves notice on the demonic, every unclean spirit, every demon. He lets anyone and everyone know I'm zealous about my people. And because he's zealous about you, because he loves you with such a great love, loves you so much that he gave his son to down a cross. What man of love is this? You see, he, I mean, that's the kind of love God loves you with. And because of that, then God has no limitations of what he'll do on your behalf. So everything that God does in your life and my life, it flows from his love. It flows from the fervor that he has about your life. You ought to just lay your hands on yourself and tell yourself, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. There may be a lot of things about God this morning that I don't know, that I don't understand because he's the creator and the creature would never plumb the depths of the creator but the one thing I know about God that I don't know anything else is I know that God loves me and when I consider the fact that God loves me it doesn't matter what comes up in my life it doesn't matter what gets on the agenda of my life I've got to come through it I got to get over it I got to move beyond it it's not going to take me out it's not going to destroy me because God loves me too much to let the enemy have any victory in my life. Everything God said to Zechariah and to the people uh, uh, here in Jerusalem, this remnant is predicated on the fact that he is zealous about them. Now, as you continue to look at it, then when you go down to verse um, uh, 3, he says, I'm going to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. That's the second oracle. I'm going to dwell in the midst of, Zeru of Jerusalem. You see, he's already there, but he wants them to know that I'm going to keep on dwelling. Amen. Although it ain't filled, the, the, the city is not completely restored. It's in process. But while it's in process, I'm with you. Yeah, it, it ain't, everything ain't came into full fruition, but I'm with you. There are visions, there are dreams, there are prayers that you have prayed, right? And you don't yet see it all having what? Come together. You don't see the prayer having been what? Fully answered. But don't think, beloved, because the prayer hadn't been fully answered, that God ain't with you. He's with you even while things are in process. And then you keep looking at the next oracle. He talks about the old men and the old women will be seen again sitting in the city. Young children will be playing in the streets. That means that there's restoration taking place. That means life is coming back into the city as it had formerly been. Yeah. When you look at the world in which we live, don't you long for days like that? Yeah, don't you long for days to be able to see children around bicycles and children being able to play in the yard. Don't you long for days being able to see young people moving about without taking each other's lives for nothing. Don't you look for days. There was a day when you could have left the screen door hook, raised the windows, and never thought about nobody coming in your house to you do you harm. Don't you long to see days like that coming back. Don't you long to see days when we have community again. Yes, well, God can bring it back, and he wants to use his church as the, as the vehicle to help make that happen. And then you keep on reading, 
And he talks about, in verse 7, about there's going to be a gathering of the exiles. That means, see, everybody hadn't come back with this first group. But there are others in Babylon and others in other countries who had, who had scattered from Jerusalem when Jerusalem was destroyed. That the prophet says, that God says, I'm going to restore and regather the exiles back to the holy city. And then when you get to verse 9, that's, that's the sixth uh, oracle. When you get to verse 9, God talks about the, the people, the temple being rebuilt and, that, and the people being strong again. Uh, look at verse 11. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in, for, in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. And then when you go over to verse 14, look what he says. So again, in these, verse 15, in these days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. God says, I'm determined to do good. Yeah. And that's what he says to us today. I determined to do good. See, the question for us, and we look at this and we wanted to make, have relevance to the times which you live, Think about all that we've gone through for three years in the midst of the pandemic. And look at where we are now. God says, but I determined to do good for you. Yeah. He kept us in the midst of the pandemic. Has brought us through on the other side. And God says, I never lost control. In my permissive will, I can allow things to happen. And sometimes God says, I have to allow it to happen because sometimes there is the need for judgment. There is a need for wrath. But judgment and wrath is never God's last word. God's last word is always a word of grace. And thank God for his grace. But when you look at verse 16 through 17, look at this, let me read this. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath, for all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. Yeah. Now what is God saying? God was saying to Zechariah and to the people of Israel, this remnant that's back in Jerusalem, he says, listen, the temple is being built and it ain't going to be long before it's going to be rebuilt. The city, you can look around, God says, and you can see the city is being restored. He says, now, let me remind you. He said, you're asking if you should continue to fast. God says, the question is not abstaining from bread and wine or material things. I want you to abstain from sin. I want to remind you, if doing right about me and about one another was important to me before Jerusalem was destroyed, God says, believe me, it's even more important to me now that Jerusalem is being restored. So that as I'm blessing you, I'm giving you another chance. God says, 
remember, these are the things that you don't want to do. You don't want to dishonor me, and you don't want to disrespect and mistreat one another. Justice and righteousness and peace is what I expect to characterize the people who belong to me. And I think that's what God is saying to the church today, to the nation today, and to the world today. Is God is saying, let the pandemic be a wake-up call. America, you, you, you look at yourself as the um, leading country in the world, the place of democracy, yeah. And other countries that look at themselves as power nations, the UN, you have your meetings and you're discussing world peace and other major issues that have to do with uh, the respect of humanity all across the world. And God says, as you have been playing games and treating people like pawns on a checkerboard square, I thought I would just allow you to find out that I ain't got to do a whole lot to bring any of you down. All I really got to do is just step back. And I can let a little virus that you can't even see shut the whole world down. And ain't nothing you can do about it. Unless by my mercy, I intervene. You're not as bad as you think you are. And I think God is saying to us in no uncertain terms, on this side, I'm expecting you to do better. Not okay, better. In other words, I'm expecting you to honor me and to do what is pleasing and what is righteous in my sight. Yeah. And if America is not careful, America ain't gonna have to worry about Russia. No, we're going to collapse from the inside, not from the outside. We're gonna collapse from the inside. You cannot be a strong nation and disrespect the people of your own citizenship. And, and there are no indigenous people in this country except Native Americans. That means white people are not indigenous. You were not born here. Black people are not indigenous. Chinese people are not indigenous. Asian people are not indigenous. Hispanic people are not indigenous. The only indigenous people in this country are Native Americans. The biggest lie ever told is when Columbus discovered America. How can you discover a place and there are folk already living there? Our problem is we've accepted too many lies. 
And then people are afraid to speak truth to power. And the reason we don't, and I'm not going to get stuck on this, I'm moving on. The reason we don't get overseas, America's just as racist today as it was in the 60s. We're just afraid to say it. And the reason we haven't overcome racism is because we'd rather put up with one another than deal honestly with one another. You put up with a car when it won't start. But you don't put up with a person made in, in the image and likeness of God. You respect people who are made in the image and likeness of God. So that's why a lady told me one time, Brother Lemon, she told me, this, uh, uh, Brother Lemon, you know, you're white. Yeah, and I can look at you and tell. I really can't. I mean, you, I'm not colorblind. You're, you're white. You were white yesterday, you're white today. Brother Lim, you're gonna be white tomorrow. Yeah, and I'm not colorblind. But this lady told me, she was white. She looked at me and said, uh, Pass Malone, she says, you know, she says, I don't, I don't see color. That's what she told me, she said, I don't see color. You know? And, and, and she, she called herself, I guess, paying me a compliment or, or, or trying to make me feel comfortable. To which I respond, I said, well, that's, that's, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> she wants to know why. I said, because that means that you have, uh, you need to go see an optician. Be because I'm black, and you really should see me as black. Because I'm black, unequivocally. I was black yesterday, black today, going to be black tomorrow. And it would be better for you and I both if you really see me as I am. Because if you see me as I am, that means you can respect who I am. That just like you have a history, I have a history. Just like you have an ethnicity, I have an ethnicity. Just like you have a culture, I have a culture. See, if we quit playing these games and tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, then we can learn that to be different doesn't mean to be deficient. That, that I'm okay, and you okay. And my culture is not perfect, and your culture is not perfect. All cultures, all ethnicities have its weaknesses and its strengths, but we learn from one another. And then it makes it better. That's why then you can appreciate a rainbow. Yeah, yeah, in a salad you never hear lettuce arguing with onions. I mean, try it. Make a salad. You'll see it. They, they, you won't find tomatoes being jealous over cucumbers. When, when the dressing is being poured, you never see one part of the, of the, of the salad pushing somebody over saying, no, I got to get under the dressing. They just, that's all they just lay there. Because they know that the one who's pouring is just a matter of time. Before some dress is gonna be poured on me. Yeah. All right, you'll get that on the way home. Okay. But 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 I'm, I'm, what I'm saying to us is that God expects us on this side of the pandemic to have learned some critical lessons for the betterhood of mankind. And the church should lead the way. Hallelujah.
teach Walter Malone Jr. I'm doing the best I can. Now, when you get to verse 18, uh, what God is saying to Zechariah is what's there, there, there are there were seven oracles, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Brother Springfield, when you get to verse 19, verse 19, verse 20, and verse 23, Brother Springfield, then give us three closing oracles. Three closing oracles. Now, Sister Springfield, you are a woman serious about the Word of God, so you know that seven, you see, is completion. Three more makes 10, all right? So now you got a total of 10 oracles. Well, the last thing that we're gonna be told in verse 23 is that there, it says that in those days, 10 men, from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man. Now I'm gonna come back to that in just a minute. Brother Springfield, you may wanna give yourself a little room. I know Sister Springfield loves you, but if she gets to shouting, she will not consider the fact that you're her husband sitting that close because she's about to put that together. 10 oracles, 10 men are gonna be running, taking the sleeve of Jewish men saying, uh, I want to go where you going. <laughs> See, somebody's already getting it. Somebody's already, I'm going to come back to it in just a minute. But before I get there, listen. He says that, that the city is going to be characterized by what? Joy. Joy. Annette, that's what I want for our church. I want Canaan to be characterized as a place of joy. That every time you walk up in here, you just experience, you just feel the joy of the Lord. And what does the Bible tell us in the book of Nehemiah? It says the joy of the Lord is our what? Is our strength. Yeah, that's, church is a joyful place. And that's why I'm encouraging everybody in the city, unless something literally prevents you from coming back into the building, oh, you need to run back up in here. Because you see, when we talk about this joy of the Lord, the blessing is being in the company of one another. Right? The company of one another. Because when we're together and we're making a joyful noise unto the Lord, there's something about that joy of the people of God that blesses one another. Yeah, it blesses one another. I, I want to be in the company of joyful people. Yeah, come, let us make a joyful noise unto the Lord together. Amen. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That means let us praise together. That means let us rejoice together. There's a blessing in being in the company of a joyful people. Amen. And then, and then here's the second thing here in, this three, in these last three oracles. Look at verse, look, look at verse um, uh, 21. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us continue to go and do what? Pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. Zechariah says, I myself will go also. What is the call for us to do? 
What, what is the call for us to do? Pray. What is the call for us to do? Pray. Pray. Child of God, these are the days to pray. These are the days to pray. Every Saturday, well, just a few minutes, we're going to do Noon Glory. Noon Glory in just a minute. Then on Saturday evening, we do Evening Glory. I told you that Canaan, we are hybrid. We're going to be a hybrid until the Lord comes back. Canaan in the building in Louisville. And then Canaan all around the nation. We have several people who have joined our church in various cities all across America. 300 some people join us from Kenya and East Africa. That's Canaan virtually. Now, on Saturday evening from 4 to 5, pastors in here praying. And I'm asking the people in the congregation to come join me at least one Saturday out of the month. If I asked you to come every Saturday, it wouldn't be too much. But I'm saying, come join me at least one Saturday out of the month for one hour in the house of God, and we are praying. It ain't a ritual. It ain't a program. It's a spiritual discipline. We are literally praying to our God. And then at 5 o'clock, I take my phone, then I reach out and it allows people who cannot be, who can't be in the building. They're in other cities or it could be senior people. It could be like Sister Catherine Marshall or Sister Ann Wagner and other people who can't be in the building but they can join us through the conference call. That's virtual. So that allows them to participate with us in prayer. Can you imagine, do you have any idea the power of a praying church? of people who come together and pray. Zachariah says people will come from other cities saying, let's go together and pray. And Zachariah says, and I'm gonna be there also. I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, that God is calling his church to get on her knees. We need to pray. We don't need to wait until the bottom falls out and pray. We need to pray right now we need to pray consistently. We need to pray with consecration. We need to pray with faith. We need to pray. It needs to be a priority for our lives. The football game, um, any other event, I'm trying to think of something that you go to. But whatever's going on in your life, there's nothing that goes on in my life and your life that you ought not be willing to say, I'm putting that aside because the priority of my life is God. Yes, it's God. And that's coming first. I need to pray. We can make the excuse and say, well, you know, Pastor, why I got to come in the building? I can pray at home. I pray at home too. But I recognize the need and the importance of coming and praying together with the people of God. Yeah. Yeah, we need to pray. I don't worry about that like I kind of used to because this is what God has kind of put in my spirit. Not kind of he has. He's put in my spirit. Don't trouble yourself, Walter, about who comes and who don't. 
the people who show up are going to be the people who have a heart for me. And the people who show up are going to be the people who listened to the prophet. Your job as the prophet is to speak it. It's on them to listen. But I'm telling you, these are the days that we need to pray. In fact, I put it like this. If there ever was a time that we needed to pray, we sure do need to do it now. And here is the blessing. Here's the result. Go back to verse 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. <clears throat> Stand up, Brother Colston. The word of God says that the, it'll come to pass, step out here, that 10 men will grab his sleeve and say to Mr. Colston, I want to go where you're going. Hallelujah. Because I heard that God is with you. And I have seen the evidence of the manifestation of God in your life. Now that prophetic word is just as true for us now as it was in the day of Zechariah. All of us should be asking God, has anybody been tugging on my sleeve? Yeah, does anybody see God in me? Is there anybody saying, I want to go where you going? And if ain't nobody asking, to go where you going, that could indicate a problem. Because the anointing of God, and I've got to stop, the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit, I'm back with you now, Sister Springfield. <laughs> Sister Springfield, don't you believe in the Holy Ghost? Don't you believe in the anointing? Have you ever felt it, Sister Springfield? Have you ever seen it? When that anointing is on you, people see it, they feel it, they want it. God says, carry yourself in such a way that the nations want what you have. Amen. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached one message. 3,000 joined the church because when the Spirit of God came in like a mighty rushing wind set upon them as cloven tongues of fire, what happened? Miracles, signs, and wonders broke out. People heard it, they saw it, and they wanted it. I'm just saying, beloved, <clears throat> the God of this book, he's just as real today as he was in the day of Zechariah. What he did for them, he wants to do for us. I am excited for you for what God is about to do in your life. Increase and elevation is in this house and whatever is in this house is going to happen in your house if you connect it to this house. 
So I am excited about what God is about to do in your life. Amen. God be praised. God. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.